we were just planning ministry. the bedrock of our, our church life this year and Christians just um, added to that with the whole serve one uh, mercy offering this morning and uh, of course next week we approach Easter uh, I'm always reminded of Mr and Mrs Chris when they first came on the journey of being at Arena Church they came on an Easter Sunday can you remember and uh, Mrs Chris was quite surprised that we preached on the resurrection it's a long story uh, but let me just tell you, we'll be preaching on the resurrection again next Sunday as well. So, so uh, but a wonderful journey. But before, before a resurrection, there's a cross. And so if you can be with us on Friday, we need to process that because there's a great spiritual dimension in all of that. And uh, we just uh, look forward to that great weekend. But just in terms of this couple of weeks, we were just planning and thinking and praying as we always do. And we came with this thought of confidence. And Julie led us off so well last week. And, um, and uh, through the beauty of podcast, even though I was out ministering in another church, I was able to listen to that ministry and be blessed by it, Julie. Thank you. And uh, she reminded us uh, through that ministry of uh, the, the confidence of, of just living with the, with the Lord's blessing uh, upon, our, upon our lives and uh, in our walk, in our way and in our word. And, and uh, just, just a real sense of just building faith. And uh, so this is just part two to that, not in any sort of collusion with Julie, but just sort of building upon that and continue to paint some pictures for us that will allow us to be people that live in confidence. As Pete reminded us at the start of the service, this is Palm Sunday in the Christian calendar. We know Easter moves around unlike Christmas, but it's that reminder, Matthew 21, of Jesus uh, riding into Jerusalem, the people crying out Hosanna to the Lord, an expression of praise, of adoration to him, laying palm leaves uh, in front of the donkeys he came in. And just a few days later, that similar crowd crying, crucify him. But, but the servant king uh, exemplified through that time. And of course, uh, God wants us as a Christian church to have confidence in these things. And as I've said, it sets us up beautifully for the forthcoming Easter weekend. So I'm going to read a verse, it's from Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, and you may want to access it in your Bible, but Chris is also going to put it on screen for us. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, but Christ is faithful as the one over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We'll just leave that up for a moment. So that whole sense of confidence. Hebrews is written for a number of specific reasons. There's been lots of debate over the years about who actually wrote it and uh, that's less important than for us to realize that it's one of the books that's been included in the canon of scripture. It's, it's recognized as inspired of God's spirit and as the title suggests it was written initially to a particular group of people that were people that were emerging out of their Judaistic, their Jewish tradition into a living reality of finding Christ as Savior. And there was a crisis of confidence. You've heard about that sometimes, haven't you? In the boardroom, there's a crisis of confidence. In the factory, there's a crisis of confidence. In the dressing room, there's a crisis of confidence. We lost yesterday, but confidence is still good. And we're going we're to clinch that title next week. 
no crisis of confidence in arena. But, but the reality is there were very real reasons for this. You see, these people had made a big call to follow Christ. And I'll come to it later. They were being opposed. They were being persecuted. And so one of the great temptations was that they would step back from the reality of following Jesus and step back into their old traditions. And one of the great themes of Hebrews is not to do that. Don't draw back. Don't step back. But have a confidence in God. Run the race. Be bold in him. Josh led us in prayer. And in that prayer, another verse relating to confidence. We have this confidence in the great high priest. And so that was the origin, one of the great themes that runs through Hebrews. Now, of course, many of us, in terms of our faith, don't come from that similar religious background. But nonetheless, God wants us to understand that sometimes things come to our lives that would cause us to want to step back. And here in this verse, if you read the context of uh, Hebrews, it's reminding us that Moses had a house, a tabernacle. But again, one of the great themes of Hebrews is that everything is far better in Christ, in the new covenant. So as wonderful as Moses was in his leadership and uh, his direction to the nation and the house that it built, it all pointed to something greater. Christ is faithful over as the son of a God's house. We're his house. So temples and tabernacles of the Old Testament all point to the house. The house, friends, is no longer bricks and materials. It's people. People say, well, that sounds a bit spiritual. Of course it's spiritual. The physical of the Old Testament, the tangible, the temporal, all pointed to something greater, spiritual, found in Jesus Christ. That's when people say, oh, that's a proper church. It's got a steeple, it's got stained glass windows. There's a chap at the front that looks quite religious. That's a proper church. They've missed it. Now, I know many, many wonderful people, many priests, that would lead that sort of church. They love God. There's no pushback on that. But if we define the house by looking at what we think is a house, we've missed it. So here this morning, people come in. Oh, this is a church, is it? Absolutely. Then they go to Mansfield, knowing that it was an ex-theater and an ex-snooker club. This is a church, is it? Yeah, not because the building is churchy, but because the house meets every Sunday. People. People. That's what it all points to. We're thankful for great buildings. We're not pushing back on them. But if you build a building, if you go to a building thinking that's what defines your faith, you are completely missed it. What defines your faith is a relationship with God in Jesus Christ that makes you the house of God far better than whatever Moses could build or David or anyone else of the pictures of the Old Testament because it's found in Jesus Christ. And if indeed we hold firmly to this confidence, then we hope and the hope in which we glory. So I want to encourage you this morning to do exactly that. Julie reminded us last week that when we talk about confidence, we're not talking about arrogance. Arena Church does not want to be known for its for, for arrogance. It's not, a, it's not a, 
a value of our house. The value of the house is that we live in humility. I don't, I don't like arrogance at any level. I particularly don't like it in the church. He showed you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's our mandate. But the reality is sometimes, friends, that people misunderstood that truth. Humility is not humiliation. Humility is not you de- denying your gift. Humility is not you being pressed down by someone that is against you to stop you rising into your purpose and destiny. And the New Testament word for confidence that was written, of course, in another language in that day speaks of boldness, plainness, persuasion, assurance, trust. Paul writing to Timothy says, I know in whom I believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That wasn't arrogance, that was confidence. That was assurance, that was trust. That was boldness to know that he that had come from a dark past had found Jesus Christ and he knew in whom he believed and that God was well able to keep that commitment that he'd made to him and him to him until the day when God calls an end to this age of grace. I believe, friends, there's a battle raging in the heavenlies that wants to bring the church to a crisis of confidence and we must not let it happen I want to give you three bold pictures this morning that we must continue to run to in our confidence in God. And I believe they will help us be all that God intends us to be, both individually and as a church. Number one, a confidence in the gospel of God. A confidence in the gospel of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is an apostle talking. This is a man of God. He says, I came to you with weakness, fear, and much trembling. Corinth was a great city of the day. Lots of sin. There's that grisly list in chapter 6, which I won't recount this morning. But he says, such were some of you. But you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. The church was planted, friends, to a background of great darkness and sin. And Paul says that when I came to you, I didn't come with my own confidence. In fact, I don't want you to put confidence in the man. I want you to put confidence in the message. And friends, we must always do that. We must always do that. Put confidence in the message. And he said, I don't want to know I don't want you to sort of take anything of what I am, but to put your faith in that because that is strong and powerful. And the reality is that the Christian church, friends, is all about good news. That is what that word gospel means. In the New Testament, the word is euangelion, where it sort of translates into evangel, but gospel, good news. You wouldn't believe it if you went to some churches, would you? Good news. Remember the story that Sue told us when she first came to faith and tried to find a church. It will remain nameless. Will somebody sit with me today? It's my first time in church. Oh, we don't expect new people in this church. Well, that was good news, wasn't it? And friends, the, the moment a church stops expecting new people to come to the church, it ceases to be 
a church. So if you're here for the first time this morning or you dip in the toes in of what it means to be a Christian, you're welcome. And we want you to find a place where you come to know God as a friend, as a Lord and as a saviour in all that Jesus has done for you. This church wants to be known for good news. Good news in reaching its community. Good news in Serve One. Good news in Gateway giving out invitations. Good news in everything that takes place day after day after day after day in this church. It's just amazing. And I'm continually in awe of all that God does through great people in this church. And if I can just briefly give you the outline of last Sunday night's message at at the baptismal service at Mansfield, as a Christian said, it was a a wonderful service. I reminded people through uh, Philip's uh, meeting with the man coming back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia that the good news is to be proclaimed and that that good news is to be proclaimed to all people. The most inclusive message in the world, friends, is the good news of Jesus Christ. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us far too much to leave us that way. But the inclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is without contradiction. He says, whosoever will may come. And the good news message is to be proclaimed to all of the people by all of the church. Serve one. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a proclaimer, but actually you are. Because by you just getting alongside people and ministering to them, then I believe that's the, the, the Romans expression of how can people hear unless someone is sent and you this week will be sent to people and you can share with them and then the thought of the lepers that found a mighty deliverance in 2 Kings chapter 7 and they said this is a day of good news and it's not right that we're keeping it to ourselves and we don't want to be known as a church friends that's received the good news but then's not bothered about anybody else hearing it there was a day when somebody gave us the good news there's a day when somebody shared it with us. There's a day when somebody prayed us into the good news. So we must forever be thinking about other people that need to hear the good news. And I'm more and more convinced, friends, that God is always breaking into people's lives and doing things way beyond what we could understand. But here's the challenge, and it concerns me. Because I believe that God's doing something. I believe that God's doing something in the earth. I believe that God's doing something in our nation. I believe, friends, there's yet so much more to see in terms of what God wants to do. But here's what concerns me. That before we get there, to use a dressing room term in sport, we'll bottle it. We'll choke. The South Africans don't like to be known as chokers at cricket, but they have lost four semi-finals on a run. And uh, they choked again this week. Last ten overs, dropped catches and all that sort of stuff. And... uh, It worries me that we'll choke. And here's how it will happen. That we'll lose confidence in the gospel. That some of our friends will try and come up with another message. Oh, it's a post-modern society. It's a a post-Christian society. There's nobody interested anymore. You can't say that Jesus is the only way to God. People don't want to hear about sin. And so it goes on and on and on and on. And I want to tell you, friends, there are churches around that have compromised the message. They have lost confidence in the message, and so they have stopped declaring the message. They have stopped being purveyors of good news. And I want, to, I want you to understand this morning that there's a battle on for this. On Thursday, 
I was in Bromley, southwest London, long drive, but well worth it, for a, a, a missions forum on Europe organized by Gary Rucci, friend and colleague of mine and member of the national leadership team. And he put together some of the movers and shakers, apostolic leaders across the continent of Europe. I want to give you the bad news first in terms of the challenge and then give you some reasons to realize that God is always at work in people's lives. But here we go with uh, <clears throat> Pastor Marek from Poland. If you can put that picture up, Chris. It's not got great clarity because it's so... It's not as clear as I'd like. It's just off my phone. But you'll see, that's the, that's the nation of Poland. <clears throat> 38 million people. Wherever you see a red dot on that map of Poland then the red dots are telling you, listen, that there is no gospel church in those towns. I'm not talking about a Pentecostal church. But where the red dots are on those maps, there is no gospel church in those towns. Pastor Marek went on to tell us that there are 911 towns and cities in Poland and only 230 churches, you can do the maths. There are 681 significant communities in Poland without a gospel church. There are 45,000 villages in Poland and five gospel churches. There's a population of 38 million people, 4,400 evangelicals. And there are some of those communities there that for the last seven to 800 years have never had a gospel church witness in their town. Imagine planting a church in one of those places. But the apostolic leader that gave that presentation is believing that's exactly what's going to happen because he has not given away his confidence in the good news. There's 50 nations in the European Union. 24 of them have less than 1% believers and 11 of them have less than 0.2% of people would claim to have some sense of Christian faith. Two in every thousand. 46% of old Eastern Germany, communist Eastern Germany, would claim not to believe in any God. It's the most unreached people group in mainland Europe. And here's what the enemy wants to do. Ha! Huh? Your gospel. Look at it. It's completely fell. Why don't you go more social? Why don't you sort of pull it back a bit? Why don't you come up with some fresh ideas? Because it's not working. Well, let me give you some good news to encourage you. Kosovo, part of the old Yugoslavia, one of the Balkan nations. Now, all the challenges of all the splintering of that. You remember the war in Kosovo and all the issues of reconciliation and forgiveness. Apostolic leader standing up there uh, Tritan Krasniki stood up 1993 in Kosovo. No gospel churches, no Pentecostal churches in Kosovo in 1993. Today, 35. Well, that's good. 4,000 plus believers in Kosovo. And then we've got Pastor Gitsarishistan. Let's put him up, uh, Chris, please. None of them. Right. That's a shame. Um, but 
Geetzer was going to come up to one of him just sort of sharing at the conference and then also with a big smile on his face because I'd just given him the mercy offering. And, uh, and uh, so two months ago, we sold into Geetzer and as I say, this year, the mercy offering has just gone up. So I was able to give him a great mercy offering. There's still a little bit sort of left in deposit from the gift day and he just wants to say thank you and he'll, he'll communicate with you accordingly and next week. But here in Romania... Gitsa began to speak about the move of God in Romania, about 23 million people. The Pentecostal church in Romania came into being in 1922, always been persecuted. Firstly through orthodoxism and then also through communism. You know, it was a communist nation. When I first went to Romania in 1992, it was like driving to a, here we go. Whoa, thanks, Chris. So there he is preaching. And then if we could get the other one up, Chris, I don't know whether, I'll just give him the money. Okay. <laughs> thanks Chris but you are sowing into incredible soil with this guy he's been a pal of mine now for over 20 years and it's just been a joy to see what God's done in him thank you so 1922 always been persecuted here this is the cost for many years under communism they were treated as second class Christians simply to be a believer Kids didn't always go to the best schools. People couldn't find a way of of sort of, you know, uh, finding good jobs. Always treated as second-class consumers. You you know the sovereignty of God, things can turn in a moment. 1989, in a moment, Ceausescu's gone. And the whole thing begins to come into a new day. So in 1989, there were 700 Pentecostal churches in Romania. Today, there are 2,870. It has quadrupled. It has quadrupled in 25 years. Everybody wants, what's the secret, Giza? How did you do it? Of course, he just sort of says, well, it's a grassroots people movement of people that have a confidence in the gospel. And so he says to me at the tea break, Phil, he says, we've not done this on the back of some great charismatic leader wanting all the glory and coming in and saying this, that, and the other. He has charisma. He doesn't realize it at times. He's a great leader. And so many others, he says, but we've got people in churches that had received and received, and they saw that village, they saw that town 10 kilometers up the road, and said, we're going to start a church. And they gathered some people, got 20 or 30 people, and away they went. It wasn't defined by where they met. In other words, it sometimes was a house, it was sometimes a building, but they were the house. And so the whole things began to proliferate, because here's a national Pentecostal movement that has confidence in the gospel. Now, we've got to balance all that up and encourage the people where the ground is still incredibly hard. Imagine where there's been no gospel witness for 800 years. And very movingly, Steve Windham, who's an Aussie guy that lives in this nation and has done for many years and sows his life predominantly now into Poland, said that very often there's a deficit of encouragement. I want to say, friends, that Christian and me, we don't want a deficit of encouragement in this church. We really don't. Here's how it works. He says, an American church sent two missionaries out, one to another continent. The missionary planted 10 churches and one to one of the Balkan nations. They got 10 people. Over a period of time, the mission board called both missionaries back and says, well done to the guy that had got the 10 churches and said to the guy that got 10 people, what on earth have you been doing? Yeah, it was silent like that. The missionary couple discouraged, came off the mission field and says, we're not carrying on. The reality is, friends, that in times to win 10 
is as big a win as planting 10 churches. And I encourage you to pray over Europe, to pray over these nations, to pray over these people. Because sometimes they don't need anything else than you just to say, we're praying for you. Please keep going and believing for a breakthrough. I want, to, I want us just to be challenged, friends, that God is doing something. So at me, the Christians, uh, as Missions Organization, he was rolling out the philosophy of team Christian. He was brilliant, the power of team. So these guys now from nothing, an inward-looking nation because of communism, no missionaries have now got 50 missionaries on the field. And by 2020, they will have 200 full-time missionaries across the world. And Christian says that I say to the people that come with a call to mission field with a smile on his face, the best, the best places on the field are already occupied. Think about it. You're going somewhere where it's hard. The best places are already taken. 200 missionaries from an inward-looking former communistic nation to reach the world because they've got a confidence in the gospel. I get really tired of people doing down the UK. We're finished. It's over. Might as well all pack in. Nobody's interested. And so it goes on and on. It's my nation. My nation, your nation. And I'm believing, friends, that if we can find churches in the United Kingdom in the 21st century that will continue to have a faith in the gospel of God, God yet wants to do something he has never, ever done before. He always breaks in when it seems dark. He always comes when it seems black. He always comes when nobody seems interested and finds a people that says, whatever it costs, we'll follow your lords, and we're believing for you to do something amazing in our lives. Forgive us if we, in grace, give short shrift at times to the trivialities and banalities of life. You heard Christian speak a few weeks ago about inconvenience. You know, and if God's going to do what he wants to do in the arena, we might have to park in Dunhelm or across at that car park there. It's five minutes to come back. Even when it's pouring with rain, it means you're going to get wet. But for the cause of the gospel, friends, for the cause of people hearing good news and to have a confidence in it, let's never pull back from being those that move for him. I'm going to move really quickly because time's pressing on. And I'll touch the next two points very, very briefly. We need a confidence in the goodness of God. Hebrews 10.35. Please do not throw away your confidence in God. It will be richly rewarded. This is, this is a rhema word to share with me. I won't go there this morning. But I want to talk about the fact that sometimes we need confidence in God's goodness when things around us seem bad. And theologians and philosophers over the history of time have tried to wrestle with Good, the goodness of God and the badness in the world, and particularly when bad things happen to good people. I don't have time to expand that this morning, but I did something once, there's about five pages of notes there, trying to wrestle with the whole thought of a God of love and a God who is good in a world of suffering. And it's not an easy thing to balance out. And particularly when people live with the question, Why? You can only imagine this morning, friends, 150 families asking the question why right across Europe when some rogue pilot decides to crash a plane into the French Alps. God help us. Why?
And it sounds a bit cliche, but I want to say it again this morning because most cliches are true. God is good, and God is good all the time. And we live between two gardens, friends. The Garden of Eden, perfect. The ultimate garden revealed to us prophetically in Revelation, perfect. But in between, often is messy, gory, painful and perplexing. And I have no intention this morning of coming up with cheap shot answers like, well, you ain't got enough faith. Lord, help us from leaders ever saying that to people and sending them away thinking it's their fault. God help us. <clears throat> some of the people that have so blessed my life over the years, friends, for some reason have had to negotiate some awful things in their life. I have to say they have exercised incredible faith. Incredible faith. Mark Batterson in his recent book, <clears throat> The Grave Robber, I keep wanting to call it The Grave Digger, but it's The Grave Robber. <clears throat> He doesn't run to easy answers as well. He talks about the little boy in their church at Capitol Hill in Washington falling out of a second floor room and the, in, the complications and consequences of that to a lovely Christian family were catastrophic. And Batterson says, sometimes the hardest questions aren't always answered. And time doesn't always heal, only eternity will. And it's almost overwhelming as one of the leaders of this church to realize that without exception, almost every Sunday of the year, we will have people gathering in Arena Church, Ilkeston or Mansfields. Our people. In other words, people that are part of the community and people that are coming to us. People that are in faith and people that are coming to a journey of faith having to negotiate some incredible challenges which they don't immediately find understandable or have an answer to. David in Psalm 27 during a tough time says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. We were led in prayer this morning. It's just an amen to how we were led in prayer. That is a word for people across the room this morning and we want to be a church friends that continues to come alongside people that have challenges of faith to seek to allow them to negotiate and navigate the wise that sit over their life and continually bring us all back to a place of absolute confidence in the goodness of God and finally <clears throat> the grand plan of God it's an old-fashioned word but Mr. Hybels uses it on a regular basis, so I thought it'd be good enough for me this morning. The grand plan of God. One of my favorite verses. Oh, I, let me just take you back to Hebrews 10.35. Mid-80s, long time ago now, but something gory, messy happened in our life. Felt the enemy, <clears throat> as I was coming out of the hospital, say to me, <laughs> Pastor, leader. And he mocked me regarding my confidence in the goodness of God. We went to church the following week. The eldership had said, you don't have to preach this week. Take a weekend off, which was purgatory, as you can imagine. <clears throat> One of the elders got up. He said, I just feel this word on my heart. Hebrews 10, 20, 35. Do not throw away your confidence in God. It will be richly rewarded. Brother, sister, this morning, with no sense of how many talk, whatever your situation this morning, don't throw away your confidence. God's good.
and he's good all the time. The grand plan of God, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will perform it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That God has taken all of our lives, being confident that he that has begun a good work in you, not me, in you, not Nathan, but you, not Julie, but you, not Christian, but you, you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you that he that's been, you say, well, I've not become a believer yet. You know something? God's already begun to do a good work in you. How many of you know that he's working at you before you come to him? He's begun a good work in you. He's investing in you. He's involved in you. And his intention is that the good work that he's begun in you, he will carry it on to the day of completion. Isn't that amazing? I want to encourage every person here this morning to wholeheartedly give all of you to him because he can make a far better job of your life than you could ever do on your own. He took hold of me, ordinary me. He said, I began a good work in you and I want to carry it on to completion. Do you know something? Quite a long time into the journey of faith, I still think there's some more to complete in me. Isn't that fantastic? Give your life to him today. Let him do it. So let's not lose our confidence. Because if we lose our confidence to go back to the laundry basket, that prophetic word that was one of the seminal words of Arena Church, it'll press us down. It'll press us down. It'll diminish us. We'll be defined by what the people say about us. We'll feel belittled and we'll be squeezed into a mold of limitation that is not God's heart over our lives. But if we'll live with boldness, plainness, persuasion, assurance, and trust, we can be all that God's intended us to be. You know, as I was preparing this word going back to last week, I had a song going through my heart. Julie quoted a line from it last week. Noel Richards, a significant songwriter to our nation of an era. I'm going to quote the whole song. Our confidence is in the Lord, the source of our salvation. Rest is found in him alone, the author of creation. We will not fear the evil day because we have a refuge. In every circumstance, we'll say, our hope is built on Jesus. He is our fortress. We will never be shaken. We will put our trust in God. Church, can I ask you today, both individually and collectively, afresh, to put your confidence in the gospel of God. The good news is the power of God unto salvation. To put your confidence afresh in the goodness of God. Whatever the context. Please hear my heart this morning. I'm not minimizing that in the slightest. God is good. And in the grand plan of God for you. Because that what he's begun in you. He'll carry on to completion. Until the day of Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing God. Let's hear what Julie said. And the second part this week. And let's go confidently. We'll pray.